So we're in chapter 4, but I, I, I encourage you to, to read the whole book. It's a short book. It's, it's not too long, but it represents a very significant part of Israel's history. And so for context, as it relates to this particular chapter, we must understand and remember this is Nehemiah. Uh, after Israel had been destroyed and um, suffered some grievous losses at the hands of their enemies and was taken captive into a foreign, strange land, news was coming back. Nehemiah, who was part of the original captivity. So I don't want to get into too, too much history, but you, I take for granted, we all know that Israel was captured and taken into captivity, right? Yeah. And so they were taken over, taken into, into a foreign land, and they stayed there for a good many years. So he was part of the original captivity. What, what, what the... Um, the enemy, Nebuchadnezzar and those guys did what, what, what they did was they took the best and the brightest and they took them away. So all the good goldsmiths and carpenters and mason workers and all that, they took them to develop a foreign land. And so some got to stay behind because, well, let's just say, they were not considered the best and the brightest. Now, this message is going to go somewhere, and it's going to speak to that team right there, the best and the brightest. And so they were left behind. And after some years had come and gone, word was coming back to, to, to Nehemiah in captivity how devastating the land Israel was and how been, the walls had been broken down and the temple was in ruin and, and everything was in a state of disrepair. And his heart yearned and, 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 and groaned and he cried for and longed for to return to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls and the brokenness and to repair the breach. And so this is a context in which he's writing from. It, it is said by most scholars that this is a kind of a personal letter in terms of he wrote this. So, you know, other books are written by different people. So this is an account of what was going on with him. So he's, he's, he's writing and he's writing his memoirs. He's writing the scripture and he's talking about going home. So he goes before the king at Xerxes. So funny mouthful of word to pronounce, but his name is pronounced Ataxerxes. And so he goes to him and he says, um, he was a he was a king's cupbearer. And you know, and if you understand the role of the cupbearer, he's the guy who had to test the king's food and drink before the king gets to eat it. Because if someone was to slip a little poison to the king, the king didn't just eat it. He had his cupbearer drink first. And if his cupbearer Stay standing, and the king, well, I guess it's safe to eat. So what a job to have, to be the guy that tests poison. I mean, <laughs> you know, you got to go eat it first. You're going to test it first. If you survive it, then it's good. That's his job. Just imagine that. What a noble position. You are the guy who kind of lets the king know you're going to live or die today. Think about it for a second. What a job. And so in the boldness of his heart, as he, he, he got word that was coming back to him that the condition of Israel was in a state of disrepair, he, he, he mustered up the courage and he went before the king and he says, oh, king, if, if and I'm paraphrasing, if, if only you can give me letters and supplies and some soldiers and, and that I may go back and, and, and help restore my place, help restore my home, my, 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 
my Jerusalem, my, my Zion. If you'd help me, uh, 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 that would be so great. And his wife asks us, are you going to come back? And he says, yeah, I'll come back. But, but I want you to, to, to give me um, what I need to get the job done. I want you to give me some letters because I have to pass through some foreign territory and those guys don't play. So you got to give me a kind of permission slip to get me through the rough time. So good. Give me some letters that carry with it authority. That when I go through a strange and foreign land, they may not hurt me because of the power of your word and the strength of your kingdom. Somebody say amen. God, give me the authority that I need to go rebuild my life, my broken places. And so that no one would interfere with what you have called me to do, Lord. Give me what it takes to get what I need done. So that's the kind of context in which we're coming from here in Nehemiah. So um, it, read, read all of it, chapters 1, chapter 2. Chapter 3 deals with a lot of who built the wall and who built the wall. And, and it, it's a bunch of names and stuff. And it has significance. There's one particular significance with respect to when he guarded all the soldiers and the troops and the workmen and the guys who were to build the wall and will deal in next week or sometime the challenges when they were dealing the wall and how they had to work with one eye open, a sword in one hand and a trowel in the next hand. And we'll, we'll get down that in the next couple of weeks. But, but. As, as he, he, he gets ready to go, they, they're explaining a process with respect to rebuilding. And, and um, you have to envisage in your mind that the wall that was broken down, let's just for the moment here assume it's a big giant circle. I don't know how many hundreds of acres. But they started building, and this is, this is the important of all those names you're going to read in um, chapter 3. This family worked next to that family, worked next to that family. And, and they had summoned the strength of the, 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 the corporate energy of all the families to build a wall. And they worked with a strategic uh, uh, precision. Families, families locked arms and worked side by side. There was something unique about that. They knew each other could work well together. And so they positioned themselves within a certain familiarity of the brotherhood. And they worked in such a manner that one group went building that way and another group went building that way. The strategy of that was that they cut the time in more than half. And if you read the research into Nehemiah, I think it's 52 weeks it took to rebuild the entire wall, which would not have been done under normal circumstances. But because of the strategy of two sets of people going in different directions, but coming to the same place of completion. They had the same common good in mind to repair the wall. And at the end of the day, we would have made a perfect fortress for ourselves, even though it looked like we were going in different directions. Oh. We were going in different directions, but we were coming to a common good. And so there's that verse when the wall was finished and it says, and, and, and they built the wall unto the half thereof. 
unto the half thereof. Half went this way, half went this way. And when they came together, the whole wall was built. Even though it seemed like they left on a different path. But they made the common good their good. You getting anything there? <laughs> God will work with us in his own unique way to bring us to a place of wholeness. So, let's get into this message, when you see it on YouTube, will be called A Revival from the Rubbish. Or we could shorten it and just call it Burn, Burned Stones. And let me tell you why I picked that out, because it's right there in the scripture. In Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. But it came to pass that when Sanballat heard that we built the wall, he was wrought. He was angry and took great indignation and mocked the Jews. And he spoke before his brethren and the army of Samaria and said, what do these feeble Jews do? You know, I was reading, I was reading that particular part. And I kind of got a little chuckle because I could hear, I could hear my mama saying something that we said back home. She, she would always say, what do you? And you know what that means? Yeah, what do you? <laughs> it means, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and so she always said, what do you? You know, you, you do something weird. And she's like, what do you? You know, what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? And so uh, as I read that, I see Sanballat saying to the Jews, what do you? What's, what, what's wrong with you feeble people? What makes you think you can do this? Will you fortify yourselves? Would you be strong again? Would you, would you repair the breach? Would you make this thing work again? Can't you see what's, can't you see the level of devastation? What do you? Will you fortify yourselves? Will they sacrifice? Would you count the cost? Give it all for this one common good. Would you see everything you do here as a sacrifice to the common good? Can you pay that price? Can you deny yourself? Can you forget whatever your particular ambition is or your particular persuasion is? And can you sacrifice for the common good? Hmm. Will they make an end in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heap of the rubbish which are burned? That's where I get my title from. Burned stones. <laughs> they didn't only just break down the walls. They burned the thing. Like, it's like, we want you to be in such a state of disrepair, you cannot recover from it. The burned stones. Now, Tobiah the Ammonite was by him, and he said, even that which they build, if a fox go up, he shall even break down their stone wall. So there's ridicule. There is this put down. Hey, you ain't about nothing. Who do you think you are? You can't rebuild this stone. What do you? What do you think you are? You're going to make a sacrifice. You're going to build this wall in a day and all that. And then on top, add insult on top of injury. He said, see, see, that, that, that wall, even if a fox pushes on it, it'll fall down. You talk about trying to break them oral, just break them. Yeah, that's what he's doing. So that's the context. So I'm reading this 
document not too long ago. It's not something new to me, but just rereading. It's good to reread some stuff. And, and it's talking about Winston Churchill. And I thought, what an applicable situation for this particular message that I'm preaching. And everybody here knows Winston Churchill, right? Actually, that's what my, I am named after him. My middle name, Winston, from way back in the old school in the old country. That's where I got my name from. So my middle name is Winston, and it was after him. So maybe there's something in me that has a fight in me. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> yeah, fighting a phone booth. Uh, <clears throat> so Winston Churchill uh, was the prime minister of, of Great Britain. No news to anybody. And in August of 1929, um, those of you who are history buff will remember that at a very specific time in our history. That's when the stock market crashed, right? Uh, uh, yeah, I think it was October the stock market crashed. 13th October, yeah. So um, he invested over $70,000. Now, this is 1929, right? $70,000 in 1929 is a lot of money. Today it'd be a lot of money, but back then it was a really, really, really lot of money. And so he invested money in the stock market, and three months later, 90 days later, whoa, boom, the stock market crashed. And he lost all his money. A couple years down the road, in 1931, the, 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 the British Parliament decided they don't want him no more. A man who had been a lifelong politician and prime minister and, uh, you know, in the House of Commons and House of Lords, great political figure, they said, we don't want you no more. So he falls into this deep, deep depression and, 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 and is having a bad time. Took all your money, stock market crash, government don't want you no more. And on top of that, while he's fighting his depression, he decides to go to Canada and the United States on a trip. I'm just telling you history that you learned in the third grade, right? I'm sure I'm not making news to any of you all. Huh? Oh, you didn't? Well, I came from a British country, and maybe that's why I had to learn it. <laughs> we still are under the Queen. Well, all right, move on. So in 1931, a, a couple years down the road, in the, in the midst of his depression and all that, he, he, he decides to go to Canada and the United States to kind of air out his brain and give, his, give, give him some time to think and breathe uh, and survive. And he's in New York City. And he steps out into the street looking the wrong way and a taxi just took him up. Boom! So in a matter of three years, all his money, all his political power, and all his help. Car just wipes him up and he's in the hospital and he's broken and he's battered. Kicked out of government. Nobody wants him. <laughs> so in the last three years of his life there, uh, nothing's going on. And so now his, his, his wife is writing their son and telling him about what has happened to him and how their prospects are bad. And, and you know, he's just having, your dad's having a real bad time. By now he's 57 years old. Remember, he was the guy who kind of resisted Nazi Germany and all these, he, he was involved in all that. And now they don't want him anymore. They, they just don't want him anymore. And so he's at the age of 57 and, and finally, finally, they realize we need this guy. We need this guy's expertise. We need this guy's political prowess. We need this guy's ability to be a strategist. 
and at 57 years old, they called. I'll end the story there because the rest will be just history and history and history and you all know of it well enough. But at 57 years old, the call goes out for Winston to come back into, into government. You know, as a matter of fact, when, when, when he was in the hospital, one of the cabinet people said of him, um, he's finished. He's finished. He's done for. Famous last words, huh? History proved that that statement was a bit premature because Winston Churchill came back from those significant losses and defeat and reversals to lead his nation to grandeur. I say all that to say this is what this message is all about. People who will come back from losses and reversals and misfortunes and things that have happened that were so besetting that you've probably settled into a place where you say, well, here I am, 57, 67. It hadn't happened yet. It won't happen again. I've had all these losses. I've had all these trials. And, and, and nothing will happen. So we, we can learn. We can learn from the lessons of Nehemiah that God is bigger than all of that. There is a place in God that you can recover from. God is bigger and you can recover. And you're not too old and you're not forgotten and you're not all washed up and you're not all beaten up. None of those things are true. Those things may have happened. And you may be in a bad place. But God... But God can reverse your situation. So he's faced with this dilemma of a broken down wall. Of an enemy who's attempting to thwart every effort towards reconstruction. He's trying to build a wall and the enemy is just mocking and ridiculing and humiliating and have a crowd around and they're chanting and they're cheering and they're cheering. And they're just like, you know, you, you can't do this. As a matter of fact, after the king had given him permission to go rebuild his homeland, you know what, what they did? They did some political propaganda. They sent word back to the king telling him, he's trying to build an army to come against you. Read it, it's there, I didn't make it up. They just told an outright lie. You don't want him to go do that. The real motive behind what he's doing is that he's arming himself to come back and dethrone you. People say stuff. They'll do stuff. No matter who you are, how long you may have lived, when you start trying to reconstruct and rebuild something spiritual of your life, you will be faced with a force and with a struggle. Right? Sometimes when you look at the world around you, you may even echo some of the questions that Sanballat gave. He said, he would say, will a revival come from within me? You mean I could, I could mean something? But God, you know how long I've been trying to be in ministry, Lord. That, that ship done sail. That bus done pass. 
God, you call me to heal and you give me a ministry and here I am. I'm in a little room with 40 people. That ship don't pass. Will you revive this, Lord? Will there be any reconstruction from this rubbish heap? Can any riches come from this refuse? When we look at the trash pile of what used to be a wall, what used to be a temple in Jerusalem, something within us shrinks back and asks, how in the world can anything constructive come out of my situation? Can you hear me this morning? How can anything come out of this? So uh, within the element of this sordid mayhem and destruction, there were some clear principles that govern it. And I want to talk about three or four maybe of those principles that govern what can come out of what is considered rubbish or failure or refuse pile or waste or destruction or a dilapidated condition. And the first law of the rubbish heap is the law of deterioration. Everything according to the Bible, makes very clear that all things material, whether as a sacred temple or even a natural forest, they're all on their way to the trash pile. Don't latch on to what you have with such tenacity and think it will be like this in this state forever. Ask all the old people and we'll tell you. I used to be able to jump and click my heels. I'm good if I can tippy toe now. Everything changes. Everything changes. It'll help you better adapt if you understand that all things suffer from the law of deterioration. It will change. What you love is probably going to deteriorate. That's not bad news. That's truth. Right? Anybody could remember yourself when you were 20? I'm not talking to the 20-year-old now. I'm talking to those that are... <laughs> remember when you were 20? Yeah. Everything was fit and tight. Yeah? Now you need to prop it up. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> After I said that, now I realize... <laughs> what it sounded like but you know what i mean right you, 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 you know you gotta tighten this you gotta tighten this you gotta, you gotta tighten everything because the law of gravity said except anselmo he's just fine like that right he's just fine like that he nothing's changing with him so but the law the law of deterioration says that everything will go downhill so there's something to be learned about the, the rubbish heap and where you put your affection and your love. The man who places his trust in pure religion, that too will become a part of the rubbish heap, you know. Uh, to think that you're so invincible, to think that you created this pattern, this system that ensures and guarantees that your life is set forever. You know, look at Winston Churchill. My goodness. He, he took all his money and he put it in the stock market and then the stock market crashed. 
Can you imagine the amount of people will jump through windows with their 401k plans and all that kind of stuff if the stock market crashed in the United States today? Can you, can you imagine? We had a taste of it a little few years back ago where people were jumping out of windows when the market took a serious dip. We can't put our resources in this kind of material thing. Um, uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples in Mark chapter 13 verses 1 and 2. And he says, And as he went out of the temple, one of his disciples said unto him, Master, see what manner of stones and what buildings are here. And Jesus answering said unto him, Seest thou these great buildings? There shall not be left one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. He's talking about the temple. He's talking and he says, you, you see this fine, fine building you're looking at? This, this pride of Israel, this temple? He says, watch. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. Just wait and you will see. The Romans made sure that it happened, right? Because they came and they destroyed the temple. Sambalat mockingly asked, what do these feeble Jews? Remember when you set your affections on things above and not things below, the power of the Almighty God sets forth within you. When you put your heart on things above, you have invited and incurred and deposited the power of the Almighty God in you. You know, some of the greatest rivers in this world this land that we know flow from the tiniest of fountains at its source. I see guys who walk on high wire and cross Niagara Falls and the wire that they're walking on is so thin it's almost invisible. It makes them look like they're walking on air. The tiniest of wire can support the greatest of weight. Hmm? I think of my body and the smallest of laceration to one of my nerve endings can cause my whole body to cry like a girly man. You know what I mean? You ever got a paper cut? Man, you cry like a girl, don't you? It's just from a paper cut. Girls cry. Don't look at me funny. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's that... It's that little thing that causes this big thing that we have to, 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 to pay attention to. Look, 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 look at, at, at industry and machinery. It's some little, little pulleys that drive some bigger pulleys that drive some bigger pulleys. But the sources that are very little pulley that drives big, big industry. Sometimes the smallest things result in the biggest things and the biggest change and biggest effects in your life. The greatest intellectual light sometimes start with the smallest of a truth. Just a little truth that you grab a hold and it opens your world and enlightenment comes and revelation comes and... and forget Sanballat who, who is mocking. Sometimes the most difficult thing for pioneers is, is the endurance of the little things. I've told you before about the guy who walked around the world, so I'm going to abbreviate this story real much. He, he walked around the world. He set out on this journey to walk around the world and he did and he ended up back arriving at uh, uh, California, I think it was, and the news media was out there to meet him and greet him, and, and they were all fixated on the big, harsh things that would happen in such a journey, you know, like the sands of the Sahara and the, the cold in Mount Kil Kilimanjaro and the floods and, and the, 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 the Amazon jungles and the, all the big things. And, and so sticking a mic in his voice, what was your most difficult challenge? What about the weather out there and the storms and the sand? And he says, no, none of these things bothered me. 
So what bothered you most? He said, as I was walking, just the little fine sand that got in my shoes right at the back of my heel and, and it rubbed my flesh raw. It wasn't the storms. It wasn't the temperature. It wasn't the high mountains. It wasn't the harshness of the wild beasts in the night. It was the little sand. The little thing that irritates to the point that it makes you lose your cool. The little thing that drives you to a point where you lose that part of you and, and, and act berserk. But it was a little thing. Hmm? The law of deterioration. The little things that cause deterioration. Just the little, little stuff that worked your last nerve. Are you hearing me this morning? The law of deterioration. Watch for the little, little stuff that work your nerve. So, much of the criticism sometimes that we get is inspired by ignorance rather than of hate. The misrepresentation and misconceptions which good men suffer are part of the path of life. We suffer these things. It's a path of life. I was reading one of my proverbs, and I'll explain it later on, but I felt apropos with it. You know, one of them says, the elephant does not limp when he stands on thorns. Yeah, I see that look on your face. I'll explain it later on. The elephant does not limp when he stands on a thorn. See, the elephant is big and purposeful. And he doesn't let little stuff make him limp. Are you hearing get him my proverbs? The elephant does not limp when he stands on a thorn. If you can do it, you will. If you say you can't, you won't. If you say you could, you would. Elephant, don't limp at small stuff. Push through. Forced to. Are you hearing me this morning? Yeah. Willie, I'm telling this to you. I don't know why. But God just said, tell Willie, push through, force through. Don't give up. There is good in you. There's a heart for excellence and a passion to succeed. Don't let little stuff pull you down. Amen. Don't let, whatever her name is. <laughs> don't let little stuff pull you down. Move forward. The elephant doesn't limp when he stands on thorn. You're strong. You're bold. You're big. You've got God in you. You've got Christ in you. Make your heart up and make your mind up. I ain't allowing that thing to take me down. So the second law of the refuse is the law of occupation. The law of occupation. What am I talking about? The law of occupation. The ground is not just waiting, cleared, and ready for the seed or the foundation to be poured. The law of occupation. If you time you try to do something, there's always going to be someone or something occupying that space where you need to move on. You don't just walk in and it's all waiting and ready and cleared and perfect. You got to work your way through some things. 
The second law of rubbish is the law of occupation. Things are going, the ground is going to be covered. <laughs> there's going to be brush. There's going to be ground cover. There's going to be thorns and thistles. You want to construct. You want to build. But because of the law of occupation, you got to get rid of some stuff first. You got to clear the ground first. Are you with me? You got to work. You got to push through. Oh, God, we need a new building. We need a new church. We need a place to call home. We got to clear some ground. You know? Uh, let me break this sad news to you. It takes cash to care. And we ain't moving until we have money. We will move by a miracle from God, which I firmly stand in faith and believing that like he's done for me in the past with several projects, he will do again. And, you know, God might just, it's your time. This is your moment. You just get the people ready. Do this thing with respect to the law of occupation. Clean the brush. Clean the brush. Get the land ready. Get the land ready. Move the weed out. Pull the weed out. Fix this thing. Fix that thing. Get it all ready because, because of the law of occupation. When you get that thing ready, then I can say, it's time to break ground. You have prepared the soil to break ground. So the second law of the rubbish is the law of occupation. Evil is always present. Evil always evolves where good evacuates. Wherever you stop being good and stop working hard and stop pushing forward, evil will come and occupy the place. Evil always evolves where good evacuates. Where good is left alone. You know, evil men prevail when good men fail to say anything. When good men shut up, evil prevails. You have an obligation to speak, to speak up. You have an obligation to do something. Because if you don't do something, evil will be prayed. It will just fill that space for you. Just like ground cover, it will come in there and just run that place crazy. Hmm? A revival from the rubbish. Nehemiah chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. What is better? Bread or feet? Abundance or God? What is better? Faith is better. God is better. Yes. Faith is better than bread. Bread may suffice, but faith will continue to provide bread. Yes. <laughs> abundance might be fine, but God is better than abundance. Because yes. abundance has an expiration. During the law of deterioration, the law of abundance has an expiration. It doesn't always, 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 always go good. Hmm? When it seems as if there's nothing working, here's what you do. You plant a seed. You water it with tears and your devotion. Keep working and God will bring an increase. The third law of the rubbish. What's law number one? The law of deterioration. Law number two? The law of occupation. The third law of the rubbish heap is the law of elevation. The law of elevation. One might ask the question this morning, and I'm going to challenge you because in preparing this message, I'm thinking there's this big cycle that's happening in front of me, and it's showing me that life has this way of cycling. 
What makes rubbish, rubbish? What makes trash, trash? And as you look so puzzled, let me answer. It's the new stuff you bought today will become rubbish tomorrow. It's all the stuff you think you needed, absolutely needed now, in this moment. The new clothes, the new this, the new that, the new. that makes rubbish. So what makes rubbish? The very thing you think is important right now, it makes rubbish. Because in a season and in a time, it's no longer important to you. Are you thinking? So it's good stuff that makes rubbish. What's the difference? Changing seasons and changing times. I remember when I wrote my sermons out long-handed, everything was manuscript style. Hmm. Today I have an iPad <laughs> and a MacBook and I could Google just about anything. And I have a message I'm building on Google, and I'll come at another time. <laughs> There's a phenomenon about that thing that intrigues me at Google. It's just, I've been chewing on this bone for months now. Google. Yeah, I'm almost tempted to stop, and, but I won't. But the real spelling of the word is G-O-G-O-L. Google. Not like um, um, the company spells the G-O-G-L-E. That's a derivative because they're trying to hide the discovery that they made and what this thing is all about. But a Google is like one million to the million power. And the whole system, I'm getting off track, back on him. It is a new style that you got that's gonna cause the disaster later on. It's always been that way. Whether it is a dress or a house, it will be the new style that comes along and flings the satisfaction of one day onto the rubbish heap of the next day. It satisfies me today, it'll be on the rubbish heap tomorrow. It's the very new thing that I like today that I won't be able to stand tomorrow. Anybody? Know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a garage sale? <laughs> I rest my case. It's all that good stuff they had to have. Mm. Let us plant a, a vineyard and, or, or trees and, and, and from the trees let's, let's just make wood and build fancy houses. But the whole industry has changed and now I can't tell railwood from fake wood because wood is chemically altered and compost and carbon polyfiber and all kinds of stuff. And so we need to get rid of that forest because we have the technology to make our material that is stronger and bigger and faster and better. And then we're going to change that because we want, we need the space. So let's get rid of that and let's dig the earth and find gold. Because that is old now. And we find gold and then gold loses its strength in the marketplace and the economy suffers from the, the lack of the awareness that gold is of value. And so we need water now. Get rid of gold, get water. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying? We go from one thing to another. You remember, I remember talking to someone 
recently and, and, and I was talking about this whole concept of oil being the economy of the world and oil and gold and stuff like that. Let me tell you something. Oil is going to lose its place to data. And that's another message I'm working on. Oil is going to lose its place in terms of its economic strength. It will give way to the cost of sharing data and getting data and owning data. Because life is dri driven by terabytes and gigabytes and zeros and ones. Oil is going to lose its place. Give it five to ten years and mark this my word. Pastor Jeff said it on the 3rd of November, 1919. I mean, no, 2019. Sorry. 2019. We're going to change. We're going to change. We cannot sustain that thing forever. Fossil fuel will not sustain us anymore. That's why everybody's talking about the Green New Deal and let's go energy efficient and renewable sustainable. Because we're moving away from something that we're forecasting won't be there for us anymore. And it's going to be that new phase of revenue. And it will be data. Just to tease that out to you. Even the great Apostle Paul found himself intrigued by the rubbish heap. He counted all things but lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus his Lord, whom he had suffered the loss of all things and did not count them but dung that he might win Christ. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, this is dung. You know what dung is? Anybody know what dung is? Oh, good. All right. Cow stuff. The rubbish heap can have no greater, grander word written on it like what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, I count it all loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, who had suffered the loss of all things and counted them as cow waste. Yeah. Think about that for a moment. It's nothing compared to the excellency of my knowledge of Christ Jesus in me. The, the fourth law of the rubbish heap is the law of transformation. Hmm? God makes his loveliest roses out of rubbish that has nurtured the soil. The law of transformation. So run back them laws to me. Deterioration, occupation, elevation, elevation, transformation. Are you watching something? I'm building a stair step for you. And this great cycle of life that we have to pay attention to. We go from deterioration to occupation to elevation to transformation. God wants to take that pile that you call a pile and transform it. Transform it for a future good. Every, listen. I didn't think about it immediately, but as I was continuing to study, it, it just dawned on me. We have this massive program called recycling. The earth could not sustain itself with the amount of rubbish we were getting rid of and polluting the earth. And so we invented these gigantic factories that recycle stuff. And now we're learning to take the plastics and all the stuff that created so much problem for marine life and all kinds of other stuff in the ecosystem 
and we're learning how to use technology to take the very thing and make it biodegradable. Because one of the things about burying bottles and plastic and stuff, it will stay in a rubbish heap for a thousand years and it wouldn't break down. Now we're developing what is called biodegradables that go back towards sustaining life. I'm not getting too complicated, right? But you see what I'm talking about? It was rubbish. We're learning to transform rubbish into a sustainable form of energy and produce life and feed something else. The law of transformation. The law of taking your life and my life as spent as it might have seen and turning it at this time at my age, at your age, into something productive and revival coming from it. Randy? Do you know God called you to be a minister? Do you think that day is over? No. You have faith, right? Yes. Anyone right here? You. You, 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 you. Do you think your life is over? The half has not yet been told. If you see your life as only half done with another half waiting for you. Think about it. Don't let your age be some kind of determination as to what your future is going to be or cannot be. The law of transformation says that even though I went into deterioration and occupation and elevation, I am coming back. I have set my heart and my mind to come back. I have set my heart and my mind towards the rest of my days are going to be better than my former days. I am going to excel. And I was praying, I was sharing this with Daniela because that's my number one audience. <laughs> she got to listen to all my stuff. When I get excited upstairs and I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. She's like, down, boy, down. So, but you, you got to understand. You, 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 you got to... You, you got to understand, I heard God said to me this week, accelerate. God, I'm 64 going on 65. Accelerate. No, you didn't get this. <laughs> well, maybe it was just for me. God says, accelerate. Do you understand what happens when you put your foot on the gas pedal? You go. Anybody take a microscope and go into the gas tank and look and see, well, let me see, is that 87 or 91% active? No, you put your foot and you accelerate. And God is saying, accelerate. This ain't no time to be lollygagging. This ain't no time to be packing up shop. This ain't time to retire. This is the time to refire. Burn those engines up again. Set that turbo booster max. Fire up that thing. I mean, get all eight cylinders cranking out and accelerate because God and God alone can do what God said he's going to do. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to revive you. I'm going to pick you up from this rubbish heap. I'm going to take you from this brokenness, this seeming failure, this depression that it's been too far, too gone, and I'm just going to lay down, eat worms, and die. No, 
God says, as long as you have breath in you, you can make a difference. You can make a difference. Listen, your children are watching you. Your grandchildren are watching you. Your great-grandchildren are watching you. Make a difference. You're at the best time and the best place in your life. It's now. It's today. This is your moment. Seize it. Kapadim, seize the moment. This is your time. It's not going to get any way different until you make a lesson, elephant. Don't limp because there's a thorn in your foot. Get up and say, I can and I will and I will do it. You can if you say you can and you won't if you say you won't. Stop limping. Transform yourself in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I am the new 40. 65 is the new 40. Can I get a witness from all the guys 60 and above? Huh? I'm the new 40. I'm the new 40. <laughs> Look at me, look at all this. I'm the new 40. I'm the new 40. Even though many a mornings I wake up going, I'm the new 40. And my uncle goes, you liar. <laughs> and my back says, hypocrite. And I get up and I walk it off. Because I'm the new 40. Transform yourself. Can these, can these stones be built? Can you make something out of this? Pile of mess, this rubble heap, these burnt stones. Can you do something with that? Hmm? The law of transformation. A rubbish heap is God's raw material. <laughs> you hear me? A rubbish heap is God's raw material. A revival in his finished product. Let this church get to work. Do something. Don't wait on me every weekend. Do something. Pick up the phone. Do your best work yet. Call somebody and tell them what a fantastic pastor you have. <coughs> tell them about this guy from this little country, this little island in the middle of the ocean that's surrounded by alligators and sharks. Tell them about this guy who can preach a word that will make your straight hair curl. Come and hear him this Sunday. Amen. <laughs> just, just tell them, tell them, tell them, you gotta come. All that. All that. And a bag of chips. But seriously, you want these numbers to grow and you want the building, force us to pack this room out with consistency week by week till the cry of the people is we gotta give whatever it takes to get out of here amen. oh I hear enough amens there than I wanted amen. to hear amen. push the envelope the law of transformation push the envelope till God bust us at the seams this church is equipped I will never go to bed at night thinking you're not equipped and that's not a boast to myself. But I know I believe on sound biblical principles. 
biblical truth, generosity, worship and relationship, character and integrity. I live by those principles and I preach them and I stand by them. Do something with it. So God could transform somebody in your sphere, in your circle. The church of Jesus Christ knows how to transform this world. Paul understood this magic secret. He looked at the unbridled lust, the grinding tyranny, the hideousness and the idolatry of Caesar and Rome. And he said these words. That this gospel has the power unto salvation. This gospel has the power unto salvation. This gospel is the power of God. This good news is the power of God. It's not the messenger, it's the message. This good news has the power of God in it. Transform a life around you. Not by your magnetic personality, but by the word of God. Transform a life with this truth. Truth that transform. Tell this truth. You know people. You know people. You have at least one friend. You need to care about that one friend that he or she doesn't go to hell. You have at least one friend. Transform them with the truth that these burned stones... This pile, this rubble, this ash heap, this rubbish, this refuse can be revived. And they build a wall onto the half thereof because the people had a mind to work. That will be my message next week. Huh. It's a scripture. Right? The people had a mind to work. So we'll get to that. But never, ever, 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 ever. Be not transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7. Paul says, this treasure that's in this earthen vessel has the power unto salvation for everyone who believes. Go make a believer. Go make a believer. Tell them you can be revived. Tell them the power of God. The power of God. He can make a dead rod bud. He can part the waters at the Red Sea. He can sweeten the waters at Mara. He can trouble the water and the pool at Siloam and heal the people. He can make an axe head float. He can overcome sin with a great flood. He can bury my sin in baptism. He can set a bush on fire and it does not yet get consumed. He can make a rod turn into a serpent and turn it back again. He can create bedlam in the house of the captors by sending them some plagues. He can bring water out of a rock. He can give bread to me in a dry place. He can restore my soul. He can start a fire on the mountain called Carmel. He can make a donkey talk. He can translate Enoch into Elijah. He can give a double portion of his spirit. He can take a farmer named Gideon and wipe out all the Midianites. He can knock down the walls of Jericho. He can make the sun stand still until the battle is won. Can I go on some more? 
back that God some more. He can wipe out the Philistines with the jawbone of an ass and he can bring water out of that very jawbone. He can feed a man with, when the ravens are there with food to supply his daily bread. And he can provide even when there's an empty barrel. He can clean the leprosy in a man called Naaman. He can deliver three Hebrew boys out of the furnace. He can create life in a dead man when his body was thrown on the bones of a dead man and he came back to life. <laughs> he can turn water into wine. He can walk on water. He can calm the storms of life. He can straighten a withered hand. He can cast out the demons out of a madman. He can fill empty nets with fish. He can cleanse a leper and open a dead man's eye. I can go on and on and on. He can raise Jairus' daughter and cause Lazarus to be free. Can I go on just a little bit longer? He is capable of building a heaven for losers. <laughs> he can provide a cross that causes me to come in contact with my destiny. <laughs> he can deliver. He can save, he can overcome, he can provide, he can meet the need, and he can revive the burned stones. He can revive the burned stones. Stand with me this morning. Did you hear him this morning? Did you hear him this morning? Hmm? Revival from the rubbish. Burn stones. What's your situation today? You feel it's over? Let me prophetically tell you, it's not. Not while you're here. Not while you're in this ministry. Not while you're part of the well church. Because I believe I believe that my God is able yes, to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that I ask or think, and above all that you ask or think, he's able to turn your dead situation into life again. He can call from the grave and call back from the dead what you have been resigned to as your life. God could change it. Do you believe him this morning? Yes. Have I spoken faith to you? Yes. Then right where you're standing, in this white hot moment, put a mark on whatever you've called dead or forgotten or can't be or difficult, put a mark on it this morning and say, God, let the fire fall. Let the fire fall in the name of Jesus. Let the fire fall. You want a raise, you want a job, you want a new life, you want a better relationship. Let the fire fall. Clear out the ground that is competing with me and my revival. Clear out the ground, the law of occupation. Move that stuff that's been in my way. Move that stuff that is cluttering up my ground. Move it out, Lord God. I want it clear out so that I can yes. cultivate. Yes. So that I can grow. So that I can have revival in your own way 
and your own how. I want a season of prayer.